Howdy friends and welcome to another enchanting episode of Escaping the Cave. This is the Tanzilla X-Pod. Find more over at escapingthecave.com. I am your mystifying host, Todd. My last name doesn't matter. Does it? Does it really? Do you really need to know my last name? You want to spokio me? Huh? Huh? Stalker. It's episode number 93. Rapidly, uh, steadily approaching number 100. Should come sometime before the end of the year, it looks like. This one's going to be recorded, or was recorded, I should say, past tense, November 1st of 2020. A scant two days. Two days. Before this big 2020 election, Joe Biden, Donald Trump. Joined by Brian once again today, we have a long, expansive conversation. (laughs) Pretty retrospective. I think both he and I disassociated from the election, feeling just exhaustion. Wondering how this is going to go. Deflation. It's like, enough already. I'm sick and tired of the political ads. I'm sick and tired of the rhetoric. I'm sick and tired of my own voice, to be honest with you. (laughs) Pontificating about this election, how it's going to go, what it means. We're exhausted. We're ready for this thing to be over with like millions of you are ready for this damn thing to end. We are both nervous about the outcome of this thing. Two days time. I'm on the record saying what I think. My concerns are more about the aftermath, what this country is going to look like, and where it's going to start descending to uh, as Wednesday dawns. As the veracity of the vote starts to be questioned nationwide depending upon who is presented as the winner of democracy's latest orgy. It is an expansive episode. We talk about a lot of things, man. A lot of this is going to be based on another documentary, something else each of us watched this week. This one was on the Electoral College, and it's called Safeguard. You can get it on Amazon Prime. I will have a link conveniently located in the show notes for you, as I want to do from time to time. If you're one of those folks who think that direct democracy is a great idea, (laughs) then mob rule... The the popular vote is how we should choose our president. Highly recommend you go watch this documentary. Again, it's called uh, Safeguard. It's on Amazon Prime. We talk quite a bit about it. Talk about media performance art to the people who are actually putting these shows on. You know, like Sean Hannity, Rush Limbaugh. I've talked about Glenn Beck in depth over the years. Now these folks may be just crafting a character, writing a script, and putting out a performance for you for something to sell. Talk about one-issue voters and how that can engage Heights Elephant. You have one thing that you care about, everything else, rationalization, so you can can comfort yourself into, into voting for whomever supports the right side of that one specific issue. We talk about our allergy to compromise in this show as well. How everybody has this no-compromise attitude. You shouldn't have to compromise. You're entitled to exactly what you want. No compromise. Ripping us down the middle. We talk about civic ignorance and hypocrisy. How that's pandered to. And how that's as dangerous for a population as it is for children. Telling them what they want to hear just to keep them from screaming. To keep them happy. Once again, we don't spend a lot of time... Talking about predictions in this show. Like most of you, neither one of us are real confident that we know how this election is going to come out. 
primarily in the last year and a half, my stance has been, you know what, it might not matter. That we hate each other so much. That we trust our institutions so little. That it may not matter. Who wins this election in the long run? A narrow win this week, one way or the other, is almost guaranteed to end in some kind of chaos and turmoil. Almost guaranteed. I'm saying this on tape, man. This is going to be out there in the ethos. If I'm wrong, people will be able to point to it. Say, ha ha, you were wrong. If that's the case, I will point to it and say, oh, thank God I was wrong. It's time for me to shut the fuck up. Clearly, I don't know what I'm talking about. That'll be a relief to me. It will. I'm not going to sit here, I'm not going to come back on this show next week and spin or rationalize anything. If everything just goes how it's supposed to go, I will come on next Sunday with Brian and I'll be like, you know what, I got all this wrong. I shouldn't have a microphone in front of me as far as this material goes. I need to shut the hell up. And I will. If this turns out to be a nail-biter election and we have a peaceful transfer of power or we have one side, the other side peacefully acquiesce to the re-election of Nero, I'll do it. Best case scenario, this is going to be a blowout. We'll have a clear national mandate one way or the other. That's the best case scenario. Best we can hope for. And I honestly don't know that that's going to be enough. We'll see. I'm afraid. I talk about this a little bit in the episode. Don't get too far into it. But I'm sort of taking a detached view here. I'm watching what's going on. I'm not on social media. I don't have any of the the Twitter or Facebook crap coming at me. I don't know what you all are saying with your virtual avatars. Thank God. But I want to see. I want to watch. We are so far off the map now that we don't have any concept. We don't have anything to guide us to know what to expect as this week unfolds and the aftermath unfolds. We are like Stanley and Livingston in Africa, man, exploring. We are in terra incognito. We are drawing the map as we see the landscape unfold before us right now. This election, I will say it one more time as I, as I speak on Sunday, November 1st, two days before the election. This one feels an awful lot like 2016, like Joe Biden's expected to just coast to victory, just like Hillary Clinton was expected to coast to victory four years ago. Feels an awful, awful lot like that. You will not fool me again. I'm going to try to remain as detached from the outcome as I can and just watch things unfold. Try to speak as little as possible this week. To just watch. Until I have a clear indication of whether or not Tonstradamus lives. (laughs) Oh, here we are. Finally. Been a long road. I mean, thinking back to it, I remember thinking. Thinking to myself, I said self, because that's what I call myself a self. I said self. The 2020 election campaign is it's starting real early. It seemed like it started about three months after Trump's inauguration back in 17, doesn't it? This has been a long road here, a long, intense road here. It's finally on top of us, compounded and complicated by COVID, by social media and its informational anarchy, by the Hitler versus Hitler media, an almost paralysis in our ability to perceive truth, to decipher information, We're going to see one of the outcomes of all this this week, and maybe in the weeks to come. No one expects to know who won the election Tuesday night, like we normally do. How is that going to factor into everything? How are Trump's demands that we know the president, we know the who won the the, the election that night? How how is that going to factor in? How is that going to you know trickle down to his supporters? 
How are they going to react to it? If we don't know who won the election to say, say till, I don't know, December 15th, if it goes that far, if the court cases go that far. If all these votes, these 90 million mail-in votes that have already arrived, if all those votes aren't being counted or if it takes a court decision for these states to actually count the votes that were legally cast, how's that going to factor? There's so many X factors here, man. You have to be an expert in calculus. Oof. In this case, I don't know. Again, conventional wisdom says Biden's going to win. We shall see. You ready? Is winter finally here? We're going to find out. Together. It's episode number 93, recorded November the 1st, 2020. Hope you enjoy I see over the horizon the next lockdown coming. Mm-hmm. I think England didn't they lock down this week? They did. Yeah, France. Well, you live in a really Germany. big. You live in a really big cl- complex over there. You could like jog around that place, up and down the driveways and stuff, and probably get a couple of miles in. Oh hell, I've got a track over at the community college that well, I can there go, you go. I, I do, but I'm not going to do that when it's 20 degrees. No, that's no. just uh, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I know myself. I could. Theoretically, I could go out and spend all the money on the, you know, the, the cold weather running stuff. Yeah. I could do it, but I won't. No, so I won't either. I, I just thought it was, you know, let's look at the bike. It doesn't take up that much space. It's not going to bother the neighbor downstairs. I can get on it and I can watch, I don't know, Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad. Yeah, something. I like Breaking Bad while I'm on the treadmill. Yeah. Anything but the news. Anything but mm-hmm. the news. Uh, really. <laughs> Our text conversation was actually a lot more interesting. That was, a, that was an interesting conversation, I thought, today. We had a couple of them this weekend. Yeah. Going on. Yeah. But, I, yeah, how did that start? It was, uh, we were talking about, what was it? Uh, I was watching Brian Stelter, Mr. Thoughtful. I oh, never look guy. at his, you know that guy, you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, the guy's always got the really serious expression on his bald little head, like, I am Mr. <laughs> Thoughtful. I am CNN's, I don't know, yeah, scowling they're, they're, authority they're, of the news. Uh, Pontificator, yeah. Yeah, he's he has the show Reliable Sources. If you haven't watched it, dear listener, it's on every uh, Sunday morning, I think at 11, right? Something like that. I don't know. I don't have CNN. Yeah, oh, you're so lucky. And yeah. he has this show, which is basically the media on the media. How very meta. Yeah, and he's <laughs> he had this thing going on. I, I was really excited to find the show originally, about a year and a half ago. I was like, all right, finally. Maybe we'll have some real conversation about the state of the media, what's going on, disinformation, propaganda, all that shit. Oh, my God. He's just got this really high, uh, high-minded, high authoritative delivery. He's taking himself really seriously, but he's always apologizing for tr- the anti-Trump coverage, just the over-the-wall, over-the-edge anti-Trump coverage while eviscerating Fox News. It's not an authentic examination of the, of the media. He's an apologist for his own wing. Yeah, well, you can't have the media, you know. No. Uh, you can't. It's just not. That doesn't make any sense. It's like Trump it might, it investigating might, Trump. It might make sense to somebody who who doesn't understand media, but you know, you can't have the media investigating the media. No, no. And this morning he's going or on, or at least ca- at least cable news. I mean, we throw we lump everything into the media. No, that can he's be anything. 
He no, he yeah. is talking about the media in general, like journalism and oh. yeah, everything. Everything is <laughs> oh. like an authority. Oh, because, on he's, all. because he's the authority on all yeah. all things journalism. That's that's actually, his position. He's is not even that. a very good reporter. No. And today yeah. he's having having this conversation about I, I'd have to dig the text out because I, I forgot it, but like the crisis of trust and dismissing <laughs> truth. And I'm sitting here. Do you listen? Have you listened to your own network with disconnected ears? Any time mm-hmm. in the last two years, three years, mm-hmm. Mr. Stelter, have you listened? <laughs> and to hear you bleed about this on a Sunday morning, Mr. Thoughtful, I can't do it. What a terrible show to watch on a Sunday morning. God. You know, it's not current uh, affairs. It's not meet the press, I guess. I, I, I still, you know, since like 1978, I've been watching CBS Sunday morning. You can't beat it for, for a, <laughs> a nice, easy way to lull yourself to life on a Sunday morning. It's really great. Lull yourself to life. I like that. That's pretty much how it goes on a Sunday morning, isn't it? <laughs> okay, I'm awake. It really is. Well, uh, okay. might be awake. I'll go pour some damn coffee. All right. Yeah, and then sit on the couch for an hour and a half. But we're, we're coming up on the election. This is actually an important podcast, I guess. It's a significant it podcast. It's a milestone. I'm approaching 100 episodes on this show now. Really? That's yeah. almost enough for syndication. Almost. No. <laughs> almost. If you have isn't a network. That, isn't, isn't that the golden rule, right, for television shows, right? 100 episodes and you can go into syndication. I'll defer to you. Yeah. <laughs> I no, assume that's, that's that sounds about right, though. Yeah. Yeah. This podcast started back up. Uh, when did I start it? Uh, March of 2018. So we're about a year and a half in, and sort of the politics and the, the general push toward what we're going to do about Trump. How is Trump, is he going to be reelected? Is he, how is he going to affect the country? And all that, we're going to find out a lot of stuff this week. And uh, yeah, it's less than 48 hours away now. Mm-hmm. And I have found myself this week disconnected, emotionally disconnected. I think it's a good way to look at it. I hope that Biden comes out and gets 90% of the vote and we can banish this mm-hmm. orange bloviating footnote to history. Yeah, pull a Nixon 1972. I think he yeah. got 48 states or something, something like, like that. that. What, did, what did Reagan get in 84? Uh, it's close to that, too. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. something down that line. Just an overwhelming mandate, if not in favor of Joe Biden, because you're never going to get that, an overwhelming mandate against that. Mm-hmm. And we can move on. That's what I'm hoping. I understand your disconnect, though. I mean, I, I call it I'm more disassociated completely at yeah. this point. You know, I'm kind of, you know, it, 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 akin to a personality disassociation where you just kind of check out for good on all this shit. Because uh, it's like we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. when we were we were texting back and forth. I'm really, really, really close to being on the edge of just saying goodbye to all of it. Just checking out completely as far as following politics and all that kind of stuff. I used to think that that was, and maybe I still do a little bit think that that's important in order to be a good citizen, quote unquote. But um, when it's all garbage, then what's the point, yeah. right? And it's, and when it's, when it's negatively affecting the way I feel about, you know, when I maneuver through the world, I just don't see why I need to take that. You know, it's like taking, it's like taking bad medicine, you know? Mm-hmm. Thanks Bon Jovi. Might but, be, uh, we might have a new music bump today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it really is. I'm just at a level now where I, I, you know, working in the field, I work in public relations. So I, I, you know, I kind of monitor this stuff at least on some, some level to see what's going on. And it's just so fucking tiresome to see it all the time and just hoping every day there's a glimmer of sunshine somewhere in that 
sea of darkness, and there just isn't right now. No. So I'm hoping that you know maybe if we can get through this election, maybe the new boss isn't the same as the old boss. There's your other bump, mm. and um, I'm just like. Let's, let's hope something good comes out of this. But I just don't think after all of this, I just don't think I can follow the news like I used to. You know what I mean? I, do. I, just, don't, I just don't feel like I can get as involved in it like I was. Speaking of the who and won't get fooled again, I know the conventional wisdom is that Biden's going to run away with this. All the polling says this, both nationwide and in the, uh, I guess, the states that are still in play. And it sounds, we talked about this last week, it smells an awful lot like 2016, man. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, I'm not going to connect and be, okay, finally we can move out and get back to normal. Maybe politics will start, maybe maybe society and the way we interact with each other will start getting back to normal. We take the temperature down a little bit. I'm not going to yeah. get fooled again on this. I'm going to no. sit back and no. be like, I see the enthusiasm that Trump's drawing to these events. They're packed. You know, a lot of people say that doesn't matter. Well, it's, uh, that, yeah, that's right. what well, they said in 16, too. Yeah, and typically, you know, uh, Democratic voters are all about the early vote and mailing in votes and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure you're following the same the same statistics that yeah. I am where yeah. typically Republicans show up on, on, on Election Day. So uh, and I think I just read that, uh, you know, 40 percent of their of their vote showed up on Election Day in 2016. So um, we got to wait. We can't count our votes before they're hatched. Did you have you seen the early voting totals? Uh, Ninety million. Ninety one, I think, is what I saw million. earlier today. Wow. Yeah, and we had I think one hundred and thirty million combined mm-hmm. vote mm-hmm. in twenty sixteen. Mm-hmm. So, either <laughs> we're going to have a very sparse turnout on Tuesday. It's going to be real easy to get through those lines, comparatively speaking, to twenty sixteen, or the vote total is just going to annihilate anything that we've seen in recent history, percentage wise. Yeah. You know, the more, I guess, the more voices, uh, the more voices are heard, the more accurate the voice is, right? Um, Maybe. (laughs) You would like to think so, but that's not going to be the narrative come Wednesday. And I think that's where we got to pivot the conversation. How do you feel today? I I feel like I'm I'm just, I'm flat. Yeah, I felt flat two weeks ago, I don't know you, or maybe it was three weeks ago. Yeah. It was, a, it was, I think it was the week before you went on vacation and then came back. But, yeah. and I was flat. I was like, ugh, let's yeah. go. Ugh. Um, today, I just, I feel um, there's a part of me that feels optimistic. I feel like maybe we might see a change here um, it, it come Tuesday, and or even by the time they count it, and maybe it's not until December until we know. But we're going to see a change, hopefully. So I feel optimistic there. Um, I feel good about a lot of things in my life. Um, and, and, and as far as, uh, you know, sitting here and doing this, I, I feel good about it. I'm not super energetic. I think it's cause we do this on Sundays generally. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just uh-huh. super chill. So it's just like really super chill. Yeah, there are days I, I I've noticed with this show with, with, Sometimes they start off really slow. I remember it might have been the same episode you're talking about that started off really, really slow. It's like I couldn't even process two thoughts together, let alone a sentence. We were both dragging ass. Yeah, and then it kind of fired up, you know, toward the middle. I think we, I don't know, anger kicked in or something like that. Yeah, and daytime is not generally my time anyways for getting things done. I'm really a night owl. We should do one of these at like 2 o'clock or 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm I'm happy to do it anytime you want. That is my sweet spot as well. Mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. even in this apartment, everything's quiet. There's nothing, nothing to distract me anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. But I can't, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll try it sometime. Yeah. If it's when it's not a school night, yeah. we'll try it. What's your work schedule in the morning though? Uh, I'm up at five 30. Oh, yeah, not, on, not on Saturday and Sunday though. Oh, like a Saturday night after Saturday night live. Yeah. Something like that. 
would be good. Huh? Try that. Yeah. So what were we talking about before? This is going to be a fun episode. <laughs> yeah. No, we, we yeah. We, <laughs> I think, well, we see, we won't get fooled again. And, uh, it was, it was about Tuesday. It was yeah, about that's right. The, the election. The election. Yeah. Oh yeah. That. <laughs> I just keep hanging on, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really hanging on and it's, it's not my liberalism, my de- my Democratic Party. It's not that. It's just that we really need a change. If there was a competent Republican in office, I wouldn't be so um, visceral about it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just somebody competent, right? Like we're longing for the days of George Bush. <laughs> oh, that's so horrific to say and think and agree with. <laughs> the guy who got us into an 18-year war. Um, somebody even just a little bit presidential, maybe, I don't know. I don't know what I'm asking competent, for. Just competent. Competence, 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 competent and willing to do the job. Right. Yeah. He's just never demonstrated any willingness to want to actually do the work. Maybe know. it was like that on the apprentice too. Maybe he just had a bunch of assistants doing all the work for him and all he had to do was walk in and fire people and walk out. But maybe that's how his business runs too. Well, he understands he does. He does understand drama. He does understand that that uh, reality show. You know, you have the big big event at the penultimate episode, and then you have the final payoff, the money shot in the season right. finale. He understands that really well. It struck me when he uh, came down with COVID last month. Mm-hmm. That uh, that that reminded me a great deal of like what would happen on a reality show. Like if you were writing a reality show version of The West Wing, and yeah. you were coming to the end of the first season, how would you? And it's like, oh, the president gets COVID. Yeah, and puts on a Superman outfit and comes out and right, <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, yeah. my my, my yeah, it's just a level of incompetence through through the, the, that thread through the entire administration is just. I think it's really palpable. You know, you, yeah. you just feel it. You feel it in all of the business of the government. Yeah. Right. And all the people who were competent that he had around him. You know, that was a big talk first couple of years of the. The administration of the term is that he, yeah, he was batshit. He was nuts. He was incompetent. He was a damn fool. But he was surrounded by people who knew what they were doing, who had the country's best interest at heart, blah, 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 blah. And then Bye-bye. he purged them all. Bye-bye. Yeah. yeah. So who's left? Stephen A. Miller or Stephen H. Miller, whatever his name is, the guy that looks like a walking erection? Oh, who that fucking guy. Don't even get me started him. on that fucking guy. Holy shit. Talk about somebody that's absolutely hateable with the most punchable face I've ever seen. <laughs> that guy. That guy. Yeah. That's the guy that's probably tweeting for Trump. You know, he's the guy that's responsible in a lot of ways for the cages and a lot of shit like that as far as the immigration policy goes. That motherfucker has to go. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the incompetence. I don't know if it's the Stephen Miller guy so much as it's the people who support them. That may be the core of my, uh, I, I don't even want to call it, it's not depression. It's just this disappointment, this grinding disappointment in people that, mm-hmm. I, that, I, that I felt increasingly over the last four years. Because instead, the more he becomes exposed as being incompetent and adequate in every single possible way, and everyone around him exposed as being incompetent. Uh, mm-hmm. Disinterested in the job, only interested in self-promotion with yep. a huge swath of the country. They just get behind him even more. Because mm-hmm. they're robber barons. They're all going to get theirs at the end, right? Where, where are the people in you know West Virginia? And where are they getting theirs? These are the people that I'm talking about. The, the, the people yeah. who, who refuse to... I understand. See, that's the thing. I understand I all this. Who cares about them? Yeah, I, but I get yeah. it. I understand it. 
You know, and that's the thing. I want to say I don't understand. It's almost like a like a cliche reflex. I say I catch myself saying this all the time. I don't understand how you can still follow Trump after, and then I have to be like, God damn it, yes I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes I do, and despite the understanding, or maybe because of the understanding, I don't know what it is, but it's just like it's so deflating and discouraging. And then move, well, and then you look forward, and you can kind of, you know, you, you've seen this happen for a certain amount of time. Maybe you get a little bit of a fundamental background on why and propaganda spin, human psychology, cognitive dissonance, the avoidance thereof. And then you can kind of see, at least I can, I think I can, we're going to find out real soon if I'm right or not, where yeah. it's all headed. And it's like, oh. and it's not getting any better. You look for a sign, you look for that glimmer of hope that you're talking about. And it just uh, never shows up. I think we're headed for a correction. Again, my optimism coming out, right? So I get so I get this idea in my head that, you know, when things get bad enough, the invisible hand of government tends to make a correction. I think we're in for that. Here's my theory. I don't know if you and I have talked about this or not. I think we're in for a big correction. I think Biden wins. I think in two years he resigns for age, for health, to be with his family. Kamala Harris becomes the president, right? And then they appoint a new vice president, and then we go from there. That's my that's my theory. He's just there to win the election and basically set Harris up to be the president. I hope I hope to God you're wrong. If you think that's the correction, no, I guess, I guess you could make an argument. Yeah, yeah. Running down my anti-democratic tendencies the last two years, you could make an argument that okay, well, this is what's necessary. After the car is careened off the road, this is the this is the tow truck that drags you back onto the freeway. Could be. I mean, she's not a socialist. She's very much in the middle of the road, center left. Um, now she's not on guns or she's see, this is the problem with the primary process because she has all of these things on record that she said while trying to appeal to the far left during the primary process last year that she may or may not believe I will grant her that, but you don't know now. So if you have her take over, if you're right about that, I, I I'm afraid that with all the rhetoric of, you know, executive orders on guns and all this other stuff, Mm -hmm. that's all the far right needs to hear. And mm-hmm. then you see Biden resign. There's conspiracy theories out there or theories. I don't know if they're conspiracy theories that that's exactly what's going to happen. That Biden's going to be declared incompetent or too old or whatever after he wins the election and Kamala takes over. He's not going to be declared anything. I think he's just going to willingly. Either you know, way. Either way. They're, that's what they're wait until he'll wait until he's 80 yeah. and then he'll say, you know, I'm, I'm not as not as sharp as a t- I'm not as sharp as I used to be. And I want to be with my family for the remaining years that I have. And um, Kamala here is uh, going to be the resident. Okay. Well, that, that's fine, but the conspiracy mind takes over, and they're always just saying that. That's just the excuse he's putting out there. He's really blah, blah. This has been the plan the entire time. We didn't vote for Joe Biden. We, or I'm, I'm sorry, we didn't vote for Kamala Harris. We voted for Joe Biden, and this was always the plan, so we got somebody we didn't elect. Well, whatever. The, <laughs> well, no, both, don't, both, you, both their names are on the ticket, right? So, you know, you vote for one, you vote for both. And when you vote for, when you vote for the president, you, the vice president is expected to be the person that will step in when they need to. You can, you can dismiss you that know? if you want to. You can but, dismiss- but also Biden, is, Biden was very clear in the beginning. He says, I'm not running for a second term. Yeah. So, so this, either way, it sets up 
Harris for a run, whether she's going to run or whether she's just going to inherit it either way. Yeah. Right. She's going to have the, um, what, you know, the home field advantage as the vice president when she runs in 2024 yeah. or she'll just, or she'll just take over. She'll just become the president. Okay. Well, you, you can dismiss that and say, whatever, that's fine. I understand. Mm-hmm. I, partially. I agree with it on some level. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. But what we're talking mm-hmm. about, we talked, had a lot of conversations about vis- visceral responses, visceral reactions and how feelings and emotions mm-hmm. will cloud and choke reason in your mind. If that happens to a large part of the country, not only on the Republican side, but large parts of the country, a lot of Democrats are going to see this as some sort of a deceptive means to get the candidate that they didn't vote for in the office, in the Oval Office. Mm-hmm. How are they going to be affected? How are they going to, what are they going to be susceptible to moving forward if, if they're, you know, this visceral reaction? And this disgust, or I don't know what the word exactly is, this distaste for the process of how we got President Harris. It'll be it'll be distasteful for a little while, and then the next shiny thing will come along, and that'll be it. That'll be over, and then it'll, we'll just move, get on with our bit life, get on with the day to day business of the government. You know, it depends on how how the Biden administration does, and before if this happens, if my theory is true, depends on how they do. If they do well and if the administration is a successful administration and if this is the plan, you're going to see a lot of of him holding her up as responsible for great successes and all these other things. She's going to be positioned in a way that only makes sense. And if it's a good run and, you know, the Democrats who voted for him and her seem to be happy, then it might just be a logical step forward, right? I think I think there are some I think there are plenty of votes uh, who voted for Biden who voted you know because Harris is on the ticket. So you know we take it from there. But again like I said, you know, it might be a bad thing for a while but then when the next shiny but you know as soon as the next shiny thing comes along, squirrel there's something over there and that's what we're going to pay attention to and then the government of the business will carry on. Or the business of the government. Are you talking who are you talking to when you're saying they during that description you talk about Democrats are you talking about Republicans are you talk about everybody? Well, I was I'm talking about people who, you know, like vote for Biden, who wouldn't have maybe voted for Harris or who didn't like you were saying, you know, we, we voted for Biden. We didn't vote for Harris. Okay. I, I think that, you know, if she's positioned correctly and, and if the administration is successful in its policies and plans, I don't think it's a far cry that uh, or even offensive that she would be held up as the as the president if he steps down. OK, well, what about the other half of the country that didn't vote for Harris or Biden? If they well, already I mean, have. If they're already being told that the electoral the electoral process is in doubt, it's corrupt. Well, but this part this part of it is um, is 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 encoded into the Constitution, right? If the president can't fulfill his duties, then uh, the vice president takes over. There's no there's no ambiguity there. Now, if the plan all along was for him to run and win and leave, well, that seems a little fraudulent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but or maybe he just does his term. Maybe he does his first term and sets her up to run and win in 2024. That would be more above board. Yeah. And, and that would probably alleviate all the, con, all the conspiracy nonsense out there, you know? I'm not sure it's conspiracy nonsense. I really don't. I think there, I, I, I don't. I don't. I, I, I watch him. I look at him. And I, you know, I, I don't have the concerns that he's, he's got dementia and that he's going to be, you know, when he gives his, he takes the oath of office, he's going to be drooling up there. I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> fall into that, that camp, but I, I don't, there's something in me, there's something inside of me that says, yeah, you know what? It makes a lot of sense. If this guy really wanted to be president, he would have ran four years ago against Trump. 
Why is he running now? He doesn't seem like he has the energy. Well, he says he's running now because the you know because he the, most people think he's the only person that could beat Trump. Yeah. If this was if this was a if this was a Sanders ticket, if this was a Warren ticket, uh, we would all be we wouldn't even be having a conversation right now. We would just make the assumption that the the Trump's going to win the election and and we just go about it. But honestly, that this came out you know of uh, not too long ago at least for me personally you know you get on the mailing lists for your party and i got a text from me from the democratic party and yeah. uh and it was back when i was a bernie supporter and uh, i said well can we count on your vote for bernie and i said yes unless biden jumps in so and that's pretty much i think from the results of the primary i, I think that's pretty much the temperature of 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 most, a lot of people, right? It's like everybody was behind Bernie um, or Elizabeth, Lizzie, until Biden jumped in, and then all those vo- all those primary votes went to Joe Biden because um, it's just it just seemed clear that he is the one that could actually beat Donald Trump. Scrappy. You thought everybody was behind Bernie until Biden jumped in the race. When did Biden enter the race? Um, it wasn't, it wasn't at first, right? He hadn't made it, it was in the beginning, you know, he was, he was in Iowa and all that, but went, while everybody was sort of gearing up for the primaries, there was all this buzz about Bernie, right? Bernie, Bernie, Bernie. Um, and some about the other people too, but really I, I, the, 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 the vibe I think was pretty much that Sanders was the heir apparent to the, uh, to, to be the party's favorite. But once Joe Biden jumped in, that changed dramatically mm-hmm. and and quickly. And you remember Biden took a long time to make a decision and he, and he jumped in before the primary. So he participated in the whole thing, yeah. but he, he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, he was, it wasn't sure about him for at least a year before everything got started. Do you think it was Joe Biden himself or do you think it was the fact that they didn't have a viable, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, prominent. A qualified candidate. Well, I think there there were several that are technically qualified. I mean, Elizabeth Warren, I think, is eminently qualified to do the job. I think she's going to make a, secre- a great secretary of the Treasury if that, <laughs> if that happens. But we'll see, uh, but, but is it more, was it was it about Biden or was it about the fact that they didn't have another prominent moderate? I think it had a lot to do with Biden's personality. I think it was Joe, right? It was him. Um, he's always been scrappy. He's always been a gaff machine, which people seem to find endearing. You know, remember, you remember when the Affordable Care Act was signed and he leaned over in the hot mic and said, this is a big fucking deal. Remember that? Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, you know, he's, he's just, so he's sort of the guy that you can put up against somebody like a Trump. It's the man, not necessarily his mythology. You know what got me? I, when I uh, started thinking about people to run against Trump in 2020, the first thing that came to mind was Biden after John McCain died. The eulogies, maybe it was yeah. the eulogy at the at the funeral that he gave or yeah. something like that, but he was both heartfelt yeah. and pointed. His condemnations of, you know, the the rhetoric that's become acceptable in the country. Mm-hmm. Really resonated with me. I like. I'd like to see him on the stage against Trump. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that, and I think that's what that's his big selling point, right? For folks who were undecideds, folks who maybe are independents, who are like registered independents or whatever. Um, it's his empathy, or at least his imagined empathy. You know, the empathy that we see. Yeah. It's his ability to to seem like he actually gives a shit about you, uh, and I I think he does. Um, and it's the exact opposite of the president right now. I mean, he represents everything 
that is not good and not decent. And then Joe Biden comes in and represents things that are good and decent. Bernie had some terrific policies. In fact, Biden went a little bit left to bring in some of Bernie's um, ideas. But Bernie isn't a warm and fuzzy. You know, there's nothing warm and fuzzy about Bernie, right? Yeah, right. And Elizabeth Warren, she just seems angry all the time. I like <laughs> her. Know? I like her. I, like, I love her. I love her. But she just seems so mad all the time. And where she, on a, on a side note, this is my theory on, on, on where she didn't take advantage of the primary, is she stayed way too in her head and way too um, academic in her run. And she's an academic. She's a professor. I get it. But what she didn't bring into the conversation I, that I never heard was all those years where she spent as a single mom in Texas with kids in an apartment trying to figure out how to pay the bills at the kitchen table. That was her life. And it never came up. Well, I think know? she went off the rails in the primary. She was my girl in 2016. I was pissed off that Biden didn't run. I was pissed off that Elizabeth Warren didn't want didn't mm-hmm. run. That we got stuck essentially with the heir apparent, her highness, uh, Mrs. Clinton. I, yeah. I hated that. I wanted to vote for one of those two other people. But where I think she went off the rails uh, in the primary, because she was ahead. Mm-hmm. Remember? Maybe about, mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. a year ago, yeah. I think she started I to kind of uh, fall by the wayside. And I attributed that on this show and other places is to her uh, pandering to the left, to the far left, to the woke left, the yeah. cultural woke left. Yeah. You know, yeah. you remember when she attacked Biden for being a sexist? Oh, God. Yes, 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 yes. That well, I, was, I was done with her at that point. Too. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that was pandering. That's yeah, I got to say, and, I, and I'm willing to admit this on your show, but I was, I'm a, I'm a Hillary fan. I like Hillary. I thought at the time, and I, and I realize a lot of people have problems with her because of some possible, maybe some imagined corruption or whatever. I don't know. I don't know about her history there, but I do know that as a person, as a, looking at her resume, I felt like she was the most qualified person to be in that job at the time. I really did. And I, 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 and I hold to that. I think she would have been a, I think she would have been a fantastic president. I don't know what would have gone on in backroom dealings and all that kind of shit, but I just know as a president, I think she would have been fantastic. Well, we have to look through, I guess, through the, the last four years in context and the COVID response with Hillary in charge. Yes, please. Yeah. Yeah. She, I don't think she would have written off science for one thing. No, I think she would have listened to the professionals cause that's what she does. Yeah. Right. Now, while she's been in politics most of her life, you know, having been with Bill, she hadn't been a politician her whole life herself, right? Right. I mean, so I guess some could argue that being the first lady of a governor of a, of a state or the first lady of the United States is a political position, you know, because you're out doing things. But mm-hmm. at the same time, she didn't really enter professional politics herself as a politician until the Senate, right? Was that, yeah. Am I accurate? Yeah. I think so. Um, mm-hmm. And then she became Secretary of State and all these things. She had all these all these great qualifications. So, but anyway, I don't, I don't mean to derail this and make this the Hillary show, but I just wanted to be able to admit, you know, my vulnerability in that. Um, I, I was a fan and I still am. I still am a fan. I, I like her. If she just would never go on television and never speak, I would be too. I don't like her. I just, I viscerally, yeah. there's something about her. I don't trust her. You know what? I was watching some video. Uh, I just happened across uh, some infomercial for Joe Biden on CNN in the middle of the night last night. And there was, Video of Hillary on stage during the 2016 campaign. Mm -hmm. Multiple iterations of her going on stage and doing that fake little smile and pointing to somebody in the crowd like, like, I know you, hi. And she does it repeatedly over and over and over and over again. You know damn well if you have any, Jesus Christ, she can't know that many people. 
To point, well, they, point, they, point, they, point. They, they teach you that in politician charm school. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. And it's so disingenuous. <laughs> it really is. Just, you know what? You know what I would like from you, Hillary? I understand who you are. Your qualifications to me were impeccable, especially compared to everybody mm. else who was, so who don't, was running. So you, don't need to, so you don't need to fake it. Go right? on stage and just stand there like a fucking mannequin, give your speech, and leave. Don't try to force feed me this warm and fuzzy mm-hmm. bullshit that I know is contrived. That's my reaction to her. I don't trust do you her. Think, do you think that she needed to do that as because she was a woman running? Do you think there's some, some degree of sexism differences there where the woman has to be more warm and charming and friendly um, or else she comes across as, you know, as, as something less than that. Um, and men have, are, are able to, you know, take advantage of, of being, you know, hard on crime and d- difficult yeah. and tough and, you know, serious. Whereas women have to come out and be friendly and wave and point. And, you know, do you think there's a difference there or do you think that's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't seem to feel it. I, I have the same reaction when a man goes on stage and does the same thing. Yeah, they you all know, do it. It's just it's it's disingenuousness. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the thing with me. And I I honestly I have very little stomach for the only the, the argument that goes that the only reason that Hillary Clinton isn't president is because she was a woman. I have very little tolerance for that. This country is ready for a female president. This country would mm-hmm. elect one in a landslide mm-hmm. if they'd yes. nominate the right woman. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree hundred percent. She was, she was, she was, uh, lined up to do it except for all this. The, the Republicans were just better. They were better at the game with the, con- with the constant, with the constant Benghazi and with the emails. And then yeah. with Comey, with Comey, what, six days before the election, right. he, he does that, that right. he released uh, or some, whatever that was six right. or seven. It was, it was, it was really close to the election. Yeah. And uh, I think I, my personal belief is I think Comey lost her that election. What I think lost her of the election was that she's the most hated woman in America. One of the most hated women in America. It doesn't matter why. It's true. It it's doesn't true. matter why. Likeability no. matters. It really does. But let me back up on the Comey. I don't think that that was necessarily Comey's fault. I think he had two incredibly shitty choices and he chose one. Because if he hadn't released that and then the election happened and then she won and then it came out, what kind of shit storm would have that have been? Right. right. So it would have probably been way bigger than if she had lost the election. So in one way, he, he probably made the right choice. So I don't begrudge him that, but he did do it. Right. <laughs> so anyway, you know, anyway yeah. enough of that. Enough of that. That's we've got a we've that was four years ago. Let's yeah. talk about now. Yeah, let's talk about now. So the election is 48 hours away. We're recording this on November 1st. We had our first snowfall here in the state of Michigan, at least significant snowfall. It looked like a freaking yeah. squall out there today. That's why I'm pissed. That's really? why I'm flat. Yeah, because we're I'm sitting here watching snow fly and I am no way ready for it. Yeah, it's not snowing on this side of the state. We had a little bit this morning. Yeah, nothing collecting. Ground isn't frozen yet, but Jesus, I'm not ready for wintertime. <laughs> so here November we are. November 1st, man, right yeah. on cue. Boom, snow. Yeah, most of the polls say that Biden is 8 or 11 points up. I think here in the state of Michigan, I think it's 6 or 8. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, it sounds about right. We are a an essential state. We are maybe the primary swing state along with Wisconsin, right? Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania? Yeah, I think, I, yeah. I'm just going to give us the credit. I'm going to say Michigan okay. matters the most out of anybody because we live here and we're important. Uh, Florida as well. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's looking, you know, I think I think they have uh, Biden up by six or eight points here in the state. I'll take it. I'll yeah. take it. I think that's good. That's what you need um, with the, uh, you know, with the way the Electoral College works and everything like that. Um, again, you know, going back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about how the polls were wrong in 2016, they actually weren't wrong. 
the polls said that Hillary had like a two or three point edge and she won by two or three points as far as far as the popular vote goes. But of course, the Electoral College did its thing and it kind of balanced things out. So all the states, you know, had an equal voice. But so the Electoral College, she she, you know, Trump won the presidency, but but she did win based on the polling data. The polls were actually right on. They were spot on. They were not spot on. I've seen multiple people talking about it. Let me let me just push back on that because I've seen multiple people talking over the course of the last two weeks about how the election would turn out this year if the polls turn out to be as inaccurate as they were in 2016. There were inaccuracies. Now, it may have been down at the state okay. level. I'm not 100% sure that they're talking about it at a national level. Mm-hmm. What I think they're talking about are the state polls and how they turned yeah. out in, in actuality. The encouraging thing, if you're a Biden supporter or anti-Trump or just want to see bad man gone, is that the polls this year could be as wrong as they were in 2016 and Biden still wins. Yeah, well, that's possible, but that's just not how, that's not the narrative that, that I've been hearing. But what I, what I was getting ready to say, though, was that if a poll is showing somebody two or three points ahead, that's not a win. You need to be six or eight percent ahead in order mm-hmm. for that to that to translate into a popular vote win and an electoral college vote win. That's how I'm hearing from the statisticians. But I, you know, I could be wrong. On a national and get, and level, like right? you said, it, yeah, like you said, it depends on the on the polling. Is it state yeah. polling? Is it national polling? I'm talking about national polling. Yeah, I don't even really pay attention to national polling anymore. Uh, simply because of what we're talking about, maybe this is a good place to transition to the Electoral College conversation mm-hmm. we started last week because yeah. it doesn't matter. National polling numbers really don't matter. It, it's a, con- a conglomeration. It's like the, the analogy that you uh, used gave me last night. It's, a, it's like the World Series. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can run up the score in game two, 15 to nothing. But if you lose the other four games, two to one, you know, you've lost. You may have scored more runs during the course of the World Series, and, you know, yeah. it, it, it's, it doesn't matter. The national well, yeah. vote total doesn't matter. That's right. It's all about the states. And I've come to a different opinion on the Electoral College since we last talked. I, I've learned a little bit about it. I've done a little bit of homework. Um, and my opinion has changed completely. I think, it's a, I think it's an institution that is actually healthy, and it's probably the, one of the only institutions that keeps our government functioning. I would say, like you said, it's about the states and each state having a voice. It's the states that elect a president, not all the people of the country, right? Right. So, so that that, it's like you said, it's you got to win each state, not win all the people. I did watch that documentary last night, by the way, called uh, Safeguard. It's on um, Mm -hmm. what Amazon Prime, right? Prime, Prime's got it. Yeah. yeah, it's a terrific, very collegial, um, a sort of um, profes- you know, educational type, nonpartisan. Teaches you everything you want to know about the electoral college and was afraid to ask. Going back to the beginning and, and when you know Madison basically came up with the idea and all that kind of stuff, and it it was a real eye opener for me because I was, and I'll be honest, I was buying into the 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 far left um, notion of of the electoral college and how you know two times now in our lifetime we've had a Democrat win the win the popular vote and lose the election and you know and I've come to the conclusion that that's their fault because they don't know how to play the electoral college properly and and Democrats are are populists by by definition or should be um, so they the, it's very it's quite normal for I think Democrats to win the popular vote uh, but not win all the states. Uh, but anyway, and, and uh, I said not to derail us, but it was a it was a really good, uh, really good documentary that I appreciated stumbling across uh, last week. Yeah, Amazon Prime once again, and it's uh, what's it called? Um, Safeguard, right? Safeguard, and yeah. it's got and then it's got a subtitle, but it's it's called Safeguard. It'll probably come up. if you open your Prime account. It'll be right there in the first thing you see. I, I really appreciated how 
deeply they went into the alternative to the the electoral college like if we were mm-hmm. a direct democracy totaling all the votes nationwide and selecting a president that way how that would actually encourage extremism how that would encourage all of these parties yes. to come out of the woodwork and you'll have yeah. a president who only needs to get 15% of the vote as a result yeah how? and 85% of the people hate him but he won by 15% of the vote right so right yeah, right that, that's what the electoral college prevents among other things yeah i hadn't even considered that I hadn't even looked into it or thought about it enough to really dig deeply enough to come up to that conclusion, but mm-hmm. <laughs> no, thank and, you. And, <laughs> how a two, and how a two-party system is actually healthy for the country. Friction. Which yeah. has an outcropping of the Electoral College, right? Because yeah. it requires somebody to get at least 50% of the vote, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Right. Somebody's got to get that. Well, it requires so. these politicians to form coalitions between the upper, like the Midwest and the South or the West and the South or something like that. You can't mm-hmm. just focus on mm-hmm. one particular group. Right. And, and Think of it this way. I don't think that our Democratic friends are inclusive and diverse big tent Democrats. I don't Mm -hmm. think that they would appreciate direct democracy as much as they think, because like it or not, what percentage of this country is white? What percentage of the country is Latino? What percentage Mm -hmm. is black? Mm -hmm. How uh, represented are the minority groups going to be if all you have to do is pander to white America? That's the beauty of the, that's really the, 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 the real beautiful part of the electoral college is it forces politicians to pay attention to everyone Yeah. because, because, you know, they got to win the state, but states are won county by county. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and Wayne County, Michigan looks a lot different yeah. than St. Joe County, Michigan or uh, whatever County you're from. What is that? What is that shit? Yeah. <laughs> A lot of people from Shithole Hillsdale listen to this podcast. His name's Brian. I'm teasing. I come from a shithole in Ohio. Uh, you so get it from me. I've called it a shithole 300 times. From, from one shithole to another. Let me. But I'm no. I'm just. What I'm trying. What I'm. What I'm saying is, you know, it really gets down to the county level, and and that's why. You know, uh, African Americans, Hispanics, uh, LGBT women, that's why they have a voice. It's because of the Electoral College. If it was a popular vote, really all you need are white people. Yeah. Right? I think you're still going to need white women. I don't think you need to, I mean, or maybe it's just white men. You know, yeah. um, because that's where most honest, that's where the majority of the population is still in this country. So when people are walking around, particularly people of color, talking about how the Electoral College needs to go away, my first in- inclination is you really don't know what you're talking about. You don't understand what you're of what you say. You yeah. know? To be fair, not a lot of people have a deep, nuanced understanding of the Electoral College. I didn't before last night. I, well, I understand the concept behind it. I think I understand or have an idea of the founders uh, thinking on this more than the average layperson because I've, I, I've made a point to read about you – know, I've, yeah. I've read their writings, not just somebody's yeah. interpretation of them. I've gone and read some of them. Yeah, I, I agree I with have that. the Federalist Papers sitting outside. You know, I understand the, the sort of the, the yin and the yang of it. Most people don't. I don't think the electoral college is just something I think for most people, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think so. That is just there. We don't really understand no. it. We don't understand right. why it's there. We don't understand the theory and philosophy behind it and why it didn't, you know, a lot of people just think it just manifested itself and appeared without a reason. <laughs> no, it's written in, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's yeah. baked in. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, we don't teach that. You know, first of all, we've, we've lamented on this show before how we don't teach civics or government much anymore at the high school level. Right. And even when we did, you know, we might have spent uh, half a page on the electoral college. 
um, and what it is and what it does, but not the nuances of it. Man, talk about something that is the backbone of how this country operates. I, it never dawned on me, and I feel a little stupid because of it, thanks to you know, this documentary for coming along and kind of showing me in an educational way how this system works, why it exists, and what it would look like without it. Um, so I'm really grateful for that, but I wasn't taught, you know, much about this stuff. And I took a couple of college level poli sci classes when I was in school and it never came up. Right. Right, right. Uh, what, what comes up a lot in college is a lot of like social problem kind of stuff. You know, here's what's wrong with society and things like that, but not a whole lot of, this is what the electoral college is and and why it, uh, why it exists. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, unless you've got a bachelor's or a PhD in poli sci, um, you're not going to be educated in the in what the EC is and and how it works. You know, so I, I can't begrudge people that because they're just not being educated in it. But the folks who are listening to the podcast now know that this documentary exists, so they need to go watch it. Safeguard, Amazon Prime. It's really good, you guys. It watch is. it. It is, and it's 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 nonpartisan. I, I kind of you know you, you told me it was nonpartisan. I, you watched it before I did, and I was like sort of raising an eyebrow. I'm like, is that even possible these days? <laughs> There's going to be an angle here, and right. you know, I, I guess if there is an angle, it's trying to explain why this thing's important, why it's actually there. But it doesn't come. It uses both left and right examples, you know, yeah. both negatively and positively. And when the left side of the spectrum learns how the Electoral College fosters inclusivity, yeah. they'll understand it. Because they're, they're the group that's all about inclusive, right? Everything's right. got to be inclusive. Include, include, include. Well, the EC is inclusive. It creates a system where you have to be inclusive or you can't win the presidency. You right. can't. Definitely worth watching. Yeah, Please Madison, Madison uh, was a genius. I guess I never really fully gave him... I like his pastries. Uh, no, that's Dolly. I'm Dolly. sorry. <laughs> God no. bless. I love eating some Dolly. Let me tell you. Yeah, I love some oh. Dolly Madison. Oh. But, um, I, I you know, I never you really like gave him the... light, right? Come on. I got to get a little filthy. I'm being likable. I'm being relatable. Eat oh, some Dolly yes, Madison. Are. Dolly Madison is delicious. I Was she crazy? Uh, I heard no, that, that was, was Mary Todd Lincoln, wasn't it? Oh, well, no. She was just depressed. She wasn't crazy. Mary Todd yeah, has a, had a, a serious... Crazy. Was she a little crazy? I, I think thought she, she was, no, crazy. no, no. Abe was. Abe, was uh, Abe, had, a, she was Abe crazy. had a severe. Yeah. Abe had major depressive disorder. He was yeah. seriously depressed. But I think Dolly was. Uh, I think she was like off the like off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure. Somebody Are you correct being me. Sexist, Brian. No, no, no. Is it just I'm because just she saying, didn't smile on stage. Come on. Because she didn't wave. She didn't <laughs> wave at me and point. She didn't wave and point and smile. Oh, I probably would have voted for. Her. I don't know. I, ha- I have a bit of a, 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 a knowledge gap with James Madison. A little bit. I did too. I did too until they brought this up. I was like, yeah. okay, so Madison, one of the founding fathers, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and then I heard that he, you know, they sequestered themselves. They went away and they tried to figure this thing out. And they were, How do we make this so that, so that uh, you know, mob rule doesn't take over the country? And uh, I guess as they explained it in the documentary, he just kind of went into a room and came out one day and bam, yeah. he had come up with the concept of the Electoral College. Yeah. And then they've worked out the details and wrote it in, and there it is. So um, I got to hand him props for that. You know, I tend to be pretty emphatic and almost obsessive in my avoidance of <laughs> mob rule, direct democracy, and uh, sort of stifling the passions and trying to keep things moderate, you know, in, in, sort of in the center and where people are compromising and, and understanding that we have to work together, that we are on the same boat, and if the boat sinks, we all drown. And if you right. take the Electoral College away, you're enhancing all of that. Mm-hmm. That's the I think the point that I think 
was most important that was driven home in that documentary. Yeah, if you're if you're yeah if you're a minority or a um, you know uh, a group that's you know uh, not in the majority or whatever I'm trying to say, the last thing you want is the electoral college to go away. Yeah, good call on that. What else we got? Mm-hmm. We, I feel like we're dancing around some. Do you feel like that? Like, uh, where where are we going with this show today? I'm trying to figure. Well, it out. Well, I think we're just a shotgun approach heading into the uh, heading into the election. We're just kind of just brain dumping. Yeah, and and that's okay. Yeah, as long as you know I'm following you and we're following each other in the conversation. I hope your audience is following along. Yeah, but uh, we always have. I always felt like our conversations were always interesting, even even when they were. Um, mundane, um, a little mundane. <laughs> we always managed to make them a little bit interesting. You know, yeah. what were we talking about earlier? Because I, I know that the, the, uh, conversation we had via text really was kicked, about happiness, right? Kicked, well, it kicked into gear and we we're both exhausted. It's like, I think I said, I'm ready for this fucking election to be over with. You I did. just want it to be done. I don't want to I'm, think about it anymore. I'm looking at the text messages right now on my yeah. phone. And yeah, that's basically how it started. Yeah. <laughs> It's not so much that I, I'm disinterested in how it's going to go or anything like that. I know I'm, I'm familiar with all the rhetoric. I'm familiar with the media angles and the, and the narratives and all this other stuff. I'm just done. Mm-hmm. I want to see what happens. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to sit here, I think, over the course of the next seven days, and I want to see what happens starting Wednesday. Just uh, watch because you dread it a little bit. Are you dreading it a little bit? Oh, more than did you see the uh, the, the video from Texas? The Trump supporters surrounding a Biden bus on the interstate. What? They had to cancel campaign events in Texas for safety concerns because on the freeway, you've seen like Smokey and the Bandit, you know, where all the semis yeah. get around the cop car. Yeah, and a bunch of Trump supporters with Trump flags did the same thing to a Biden bus on the interstate in Texas, and they canceled some campaign events because they feared for their safety. Wow, I didn't see this. Nobody got hurt or anything like that. I'm not saying that you know there was casualties or anything, but that's well, that's the, intimidation. It's exactly what it is. Yeah, and yeah. so I'm kind of like I'm looking for any indication. I've gone out on a limb here over the last at least the last year and a half, two years, and I've been saying that the, the, the aftermath of this election, this election doesn't matter who wins and who doesn't win when you put it in the context of the aftermath. Because if Trump wins, one side's going to think he cheated. If Biden wins, Trump's side's going to think the election was stolen. In this mm-hmm. context, in this context solely, okay, doesn't matter. I have been out on the limb and I've said that I think that winter fully arrives on this Wednesday. And I'm I'm looking for any indication that I'm wrong. I'm like, oh, please. I, I have to agree with you. I, I don't think I remember an election. I've been a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I remember an election where I've had so much anxiety about the outcome. Yeah. Right. And anxiety basically is fear. I mean, it's just another word for fear. I'm yeah. afraid of the outcome, partly personally, because in my neighborhood, I'm completely surrounded by Trump supporters. There's a guy in the, 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 my backyard neighbor, he's got like a full size Trump flag on a flagpole in his backyard. <laughs> Just like the one thing, you know, the one thing I, I, I think I got this uh, maybe from Bill Maher Friday night, but um, they were talking a little bit about why are his supporters so vocal with all their flags and all their signs and, and, and the Biden supporters are generally a little more subdued. And, and the woman who was on the, uh, on one of his guests, I forget her name. She was brilliant, but she said, "Well, because because they're the Biden supporters aren't a member of a cult, right? And and that's how you behave when you're a member of a cult, right? It's the constant 
reminders of of who your hero is and and who are you really trying to convince other people or yourself i completely disagree with that i think it's defiance i think that these these people have been told how bad trump is how stupid they are how it's not really i don't necessarily think it's all about donald trump and being part of his cult i think it's about raising a middle finger to everyone who's told them how stupid they are how bad they are how evil they are for the last four Mm -hmm. years here here's my evil fuck you here's my full-size trump flag on a fucking (laughs) that's exactly what it is and but you know what those guys are nice they're they're, they're, there's a family back there they're wonderful people Uh, they caught my yard on fire last year on fourth of july but that's okay they put it out so (laughs) (laughs) i ever tell you the story about the uh, the hitch back from arizona in 2016 after the election no, it's just a real. It's, it's not really a story, but it, it, a generalized sense of things that after after the election came down, I was I, I told the story where I was in the bivy across from Cheyenne Mountain in, in Colorado Springs. I woke up the next day and I'm ready for this trip to end. I'm like, fuck this. I take an Uber up to Denver and I'm trying to figure out, okay, can I? I could just take the bus out to DIA. I could fly home, end this shit, have it over with. I hate people. I hate this country. I want to go to Mexico and take pictures. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that was my mm-hmm. my attitude the day after the election, the couple of days, and I fought through it. I wound up taking. A train out to uh, Fort Morgan, Colorado. It's the very first place that I went when I first started hitchhiking in 2008. Figured I'd pay homage to you know past memories and started hitchhiking back in Chicago. And that trip across the middle part of the country within two three days of the election was peppered by Trump supporters. Hmm. You know, they were the people who gave me rides. It's been that way. Conservatives are the ones who will pick up hitchhikers. The friendly little hippies that want to help mm-hmm. everybody, they typically don't mm-hmm. stop. I've never gotten a ride in a Prius. Anyway, no. and, and, and what it was, when you when I sat down, the crux of the story is that when I sat down in the cars with these folks who had voted for Trump, they were in the aftermath of this huge unexpected victory. They weren't assholes. Mm-hmm. They weren't talking, you know, all about race and they weren't the stereotypical Trump voter. They had concerns. They had legitimate concerns and that they could articulate if you would just sit there and listen and not preach, which is the right. advantage of the hitchhiker. It's to your benefit not to preach. It's to your benefit to shut the fuck up and listen if you yeah. want to stay in the car and go for another few exits, right? <laughs> Self-preservation. Kind of, but it's also a really good way to remind yourself to shut up and just listen to what people have yeah. to say. Don't challenge yeah. them. Let them express what they're thinking in an unthreatened way. Right. You're absolutely right. You know, I agree with you 100%. Even about the idea of you know um, the, the the collective fuck you that they're they're sending us with their flags and stuff like yeah. that. And I agree. I agree. I have to agree with that because that's, we that's where that's where the left uh, and uh, maybe some some Democrats that aren't so left really screwed up is when they castigated these people into a category of deplorables. And you know, just because you voted for Trump doesn't mean you're a dumb fuck. Right. I mean, you just maybe have different some um, doesn't mean that you aren't a dumb fuck either. I mean, some people are um, vice and vice versa. On bo- there, there, are dumb fucks on, there are dumb fucks on both sides. Uh, but I'm just saying that um, we have to we have to live together. I've got across the street, the woman, you know, she's got the Trump signs in her yard. She's a sweet lady and we've helped her. You know, down the street, there's other people that we know that have Trump you know, signs. The neighbor behind me with the Trump flag. Nice guys, just some drunk good old boys all the time, you know, yeah. but very nice. Um, that's where we have to go, right? We, we have to stop demonizing each other. Just because you don't agree with me doesn't mean I have to hate you, right? right. And I'm not the first person to say, I'm not making news here. I mean, I've heard this a lot from other people and everybody seems to agree with this, but nobody seems to be doing anything about it. It doesn't sell. You know, that, you know, that's the thing. It, oh, that's it's, right. It's not the heat. It, we're yeah. not keeping the heat on. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's really difficult to keep people engaged in your product when you're mm-hmm. singing Kumbaya. 
We want conflict. We want family who voted for Trump. Do I hate? No, I love them. Yeah, I love them. Um, You know, do I think they voted for the wrong guy? Of course, and they know it. They don't hate me. You know, (laughs) I have a friend. I have a friend who uh, you know is a is a huge conservative. He is a one issue voter. He's politically activated because of one issue, and that's the Second Amendment. That's guns. Okay, everything that he thinks and believes and how he votes, he won't admit to this, but I'm pretty confident springs off of this one issue. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you start Mm -hmm. talking with him about issues, about policy and all this, he comes from a conservative bent, but he's very, very, very thoughtful. Okay, Mm -hmm. until he gets on the Internet, until he gets an audience in front of him. And then he turns he exactly he turns into somebody on stage who's giving a performance. Yeah. And and he's coming yeah. up with the most outrageous things. He's pandering to this crowd, this this 500 friends uh, friends friends list of his who are 99% or 95% conservative. So he's trying to he's trying to feed them chum to get this reaction. And he becomes another human being altogether than than the person he is when he's isolated and individual. Like I was isolated and individualized mm. with these people coming back on that trip. Yeah. You yep. know, I've heard that same comment about sometimes some of the national sort of right-wing media commentators about how they're actually quite reasonable people who yep. don't believe half the shit they're saying on the radio or on their podcasts. Right? I have put that forth a number of times. I, I, yeah, I even, think that's a thing. <laughs> even what's-his-name, who had the probably one of the, the most most hated, what was his name, Alex? Alex, Alex Jones? Alex Jones, yeah. Where I've heard that he didn't believe anything that he was saying. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you know, he was just getting clicks, man. I have put an article that I found on Forbes. I've used this a number of times. I've talked about it on the show. I've posted it probably a hundred times to Facebook and to my page and other places. Put out by Forbes, I think, in 2010. And it was about Glenn Beck. When Glenn Beck was at his height and he was getting ready to mm-hmm. move to the blaze and all this, mm-hmm. They interviewed him, and he admitted, flat out admitted, I don't give two shits about politics. I do not care about politics. It's the money. It's the product. I'm giving the people what they want. I am an entertainer. Yeah. He admitted it. Sure. It makes him money. So he crafts a script, he creates a character, and goes on a microphone in front of a camera and Mm -hmm. gives performance art. He gives, give the people what they play the hits. Right? Does that sound familiar? It's, it's all theater, man, and yeah. they, they get and they have their recurrence, right? They come back, <laughs> yeah, you know. And uh, yes. Uh, so. <laughs> here's Stairway to Heaven again. Yeah, yeah, uh, again. And Boston, don't forget Boston. Oh yeah, yeah. feeling again. Would you like some train this hour? Here's your current. No, I never, I never would like some train ever. <laughs> I used to call it Vagina Rock. <laughs> I go on the air at night. Here's so some true. vagina rock from Train because the program yeah. director put it in there. Yeah, yeah because uh, because the vice president of programming in Atlanta decided that we needed to play it. So. That endeared me to people, to listeners. I, at least I was honest about it, right? Yeah. But you yeah. know, I, I, I have said a number of times, I, I can't prove it. I just know it's true that Rush Limbaugh doesn't believe Three quarters of the shit coming out of his mouth. He no, has I've heard a product. He's putting out a performance, and he's brilliant in that context. He's terrific at it, and it started when during the Clinton administration, right in the early days of the Clinton administration. He's brilliant. He's really the guy that invented that that whole format. Yeah. Um, but I've heard the same thing that you know he's. I think you know he's a conservative, but he's not that conservative. He's not a ditto head. He's a you conservative I mean? he's turned not- up to eleven. Yeah, yeah, he, but he's probably in in reality he's probably like a two or a three. Yeah, 
but he's got. He a, just cranks it up to eleven. Thanks, Spinal Tap. He turns it up to eleven, and and that's what you get for the show. And I think that's probably what all these guys mostly are. Sure. I imagine you've got a few crazy fuckers out there um, that are just way over the edge in their in their beliefs and have no room to budge or change their opinion. Um, but for the most part, they're just guys trying to make a buck. Well, how do, you, how, a do lot. You, how do you change your opinion? Rush Limbaugh, I think, makes $80 million a year. Does that sound right? 60 or $80 million a year. He just signed a mm-hmm. new contract before he was diagnosed with cancer. He mm-hmm. is enormous, enormous, enormously wealthy, enormously. Uh, mm-hmm. getting all riled up here. Mm-hmm. He makes a lot of fucking money. All right. Yes. If you're a talk radio host... <laughs> And you see this, I mean, why wouldn't you create this 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 character, create the script, create the outrage that keeps people coming back so you can jack those ad rates up, so you can mm-hmm. jack your own personal income up? But when you talk about, and this is something I want to come back to later on, something for you to remind me on. I want to give you a little credit for something. How can you change your mind when you've gathered this entire you know, metaphorical stadium full of people demanding that you play Stairway to Heaven? How can you come out and start, you know, bring Yanni on stage? No, you're right. It's like when Rat came to the Allegan County Fair and they didn't play round and round. Yes. Do you remember when that happened? Oh. You can't do that. Oh, you're a rat. <laughs> For one thing, you're just fucking rat. You are round and round, okay? Fine. Just Wake play that song and great. leave. <laughs> play it seven times and go home. It's and fine. Go home. People will be happy with that. If you don't, you're going to be you're going to be hung in effigy. Yeah, but it's the same thing, right? So right. He, they have to keep, in order for him to keep that $80 million coming, he has to crank up the heat. And, you know, he's got a product, he's selling it. That's how our system works. But honestly, you know, part of me thinks it's, it's, it's harmful. It's, it's really harmful, it especially since it's disingenuous. It is how the system works. It is a reality, but you can hold two opposing thoughts in your head at the same time. It's incredibly corrosive. You, yeah. It is. And it's 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 almost a paradox. I've talked about it a hundred times on the show. I mean, we, this is the reality of the media. If they mm-hmm. don't do this, they go away. As mm-hmm. technology is advancing and exploding in our pockets via our phones, there are too many outlets, too many places for people to get that catered information that they demand. If you don't give it to them, someone else will. You become a non-entity. How do you You're function right. in, in a democracy? Or even how do you have an enlightened citizenry, an enlightened republic, when all the people can go find only what they want to hear? Yes. How? Yes. That's the million-dollar question. It is a million-dollar question. And what it also what it, what it brings up in my mind, too, is is that that type of media was so successful, the conservative media, even though the guys that are doing it aren't as conservative as they say they are. Why was liberal media never so successful? Why did um, Air America go away? Why? What, I mean, do you have a theory on that? Because I don't. Yeah. I, I'm just really interested in why liberal media just couldn't get the foothold that conservative media did? Is it, is it just differences in the way we think, our personality? What is it? Do you think there's a liberal media bias? It depends, I guess, on the media. But yeah, probably no. because, you know, liberal you know, media is, um, I don't know how to explain it, but I do, I do feel like there's a bit of a bias. How many conservative outlets do you know of? I'm not talking about radio. I'm talking about just as far as people getting their generalized information, their general information from day to day. How many conservative outlets? How many can you think of off the top of your head? Mm, three or four, maybe. Four. Who are they? Well, you've got Fox. You've got AOAN, I think one of them. Um, you've got, uh, another, there's like RFD or something like that. <laughs> there's these really obscure cable right, channels. Right. <laughs> right. Keep that in mind. Keep that thought uh, in your head. Yeah. Now start naming outlets that lean left. 
Well, I guess you could name just about all of them. Right? So to answer your question, why did conservative talk radio take off and liberal liberal talk radio didn't? It's everywhere. Con- liberal liberal yeah. opinion is absolutely everywhere. You don't need one centralized place or one centralized medium or format to go find it, whereas conservatives have to find their voice and their message in specific places. No, you're right. That's really, I, I never, I never would have thought of that. So they just put up a tent and said, "Come join us," yeah. and there, and the people came. Yeah, yeah, if you build it, they will come. And they did, and they still go. Yeah. <laughs> and and Air America didn't succeed because there was just too much liberal competition. Right, and I, right? I don't think I, I don't really think that the talent that Air America had, I don't think it was as compelling. I don't think it was as good as these people who had been doing talk radio for twenty years at that point. No, you're right, and I think I feel like the conservative media was just hotter when we, you know when we're using the heat analogy. Mm-hmm. You know, they just they were just more angry, um, and where Democrats were more kumbaya. I'm really shocked that it hasn't caught on during the Trump years because the heat. When you talk about the heat, turning up the heat with Trump in office, liberals could turn that shit up to boiling at this point. They don't. They don't play the same rules. That's one of Bill Maher's biggest arguments. When are we going to start playing dirty? You know, when are we going to hand, hand Mitch McConnell well, his own ass, right? Well, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I can't watch MSNBC anymore. Maybe this is the frog in the pot thing. Uh, they they turn it up pretty pretty loudly as far as cable television goes, cable news. Yeah. Why yeah. haven't they been able to translate that to radio? That's what I mean. Why couldn't they take the, the no. conservative talk heat, that format, that, that schematic, and apply it to a liberal station or a liberal network now as opposed to 20 years ago? Yeah, that's my question is I just can't seem to like, well, that's like you said, there's, there are just many other outlets and maybe, maybe Democrats just are liberals. I don't want to loop the two together because a Democrat does not necessarily equal a liberal and vice versa. But I, I I think that, um, like you said, there's just, and there are enough outlets and maybe the Democrats and liberals just don't need to hear their own voice coming back at them all the time. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And I I think it's, I think it's a club. It it strikes me as conservative talk. When, if you're going to go listen to that, you are part of a club. You're part of an outcast, sort of almost like the outsider. And you're going to a little Mm. clubhouse where you're welcome, where you're not welcome anywhere else. The land of the misfit toys. Kind of. Yeah. You know, that's the tribalism. That's the belonging thing. You know, I don't know, maybe some self-righteousness. Do you think it it goes back to that, um, that, that, you know, those personality differences that people have uh, have done studies on and shown that certain conservative types have sort of a fear uh, base? They're they're motivated extrinsically by fear, and uh, whereas the liberals and, and Democrats tend to be motiv- motivated more intrinsically by hope and uh, possibility. No, I, I don't think that. I don't put a lot of stock in that because when I hear it, even hearing you describe it, and you're not doing this intentionally, but it's it's trying to find fault with people who believe a certain way. You're scared, yeah. whereas we are yeah. hopeful. You know, when yeah. I hear that, it's kind of you know, okay, you're trying to engage right. in some some weird political eugenics here. I got yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's I, right. I mean, I could argue both ways, and I think a lot of people are are these one issue voters. Like I was talking about my friend who's a, who's a single issue two A guy. There are a lot of people who are one issue voters on different things, and and just you know, sort of adjust the rest of their beliefs around that because, okay, whatever, I'll agree with this, but this is what I really care about. I think being a single issue voter, um, you know, maybe creates a problem because you're not letting your voice be known on other issues. For me personally, I, I'm an old school Democrat where you might remember this. Remember back in the day, I think even during Reagan's administration, you know, Democrats were the party of labor, the party of the working man, and Republicans were the party of business. It wasn't about 
all the social issues that have crept into politics or you know even second amendment and all that kind of, I'm sure it maybe came up at times but that was sort of the dividing line right if you were a democrat you were in favor of the working man you were union you know part of the labor force and and the downtrodden whereas if you were a republican you were a businessman and you you were part of the stock market and the gdp and all these sort of financial measures and things like that and it was always us versus them right it was never it was never together right especially if you grew up in a in a union household like i did it was always you know uh, they're just they're just trying to you know they're just trying to put us down and they're trying to take you know take away our benefits and all this kind of stuff but that that's that's where i get my democratic leanings from it's not from the the social issues or really much of any of that or or second amendment or any of that kind of stuff i get it from old school you know old yeah. school democrats and and that's how i i i still uh, live in that world in my mind. So when I vote Democrat, I'm voting, you know, for the people. I'm voting for causes for the people, safety nets and social security and um, welfare programs that need to be there and all that kind of stuff. So and not for tax cuts for rich companies and and businesses and giving them more money. Trickle down doesn't work. We know that. So um, that that's that's where I come from when we talk about. Democrats and Republicans, all this other stuff, where we've gone since, I don't know, late 90s maybe, or whenever it became a social, these sort of, this sort of social parties, um, social programs. I I don't know where that came from. Somebody could educate me on that. Those aren't the parties that I, that I recognize. Yeah. That was the beginning of the hyper fragmentation, I think, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. That may, yeah, that makes sense. But I just was, I'm just, I, that's how I think about the parties. I still do, even going back to you know when I when I my first vote when I was eighteen, which was uh, Reagan. Um, who was the Democrat? Who was the, Dole? No, it wasn't Dole. Oh, I don't Mondale. remember. Mondale. Mondale. Yeah. yeah, I voted for Reagan. Going back to the single issue voter, I think that's where you started, and this is the, the the thing that primarily sticks in my head about what you just said was that we were talking about the two party system and the advantage of the two party system not very long ago, right? But if you're a one mm-hmm. issue voter, there's only two parties. I mean, if that's what matters to you, if that really is what matters to you, you have to pretty much compromise or rationalize Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. disengage your cognitive dissonance, you know, litigate internally, (laughs) right? If you don't fully agree with the rest of that party's platform or plank, right? That that belief system. So say say your one issue is abortion. And this is one that I've said before. I can I, I can argue both sides of these. Of, of mm-hmm. that one single issue, right? So if I'm pro-life, how can I bring myself to vote for a Democrat? Right. And is, is say I, I don't agree with the death penalty, but my primary issue is abortion and being pro-life. Well, okay, yeah, yeah. So you kind of hold your nose and vote. Yeah, you know, I'm not ever going to kill anybody. I'm not really ever going to have to worry about being put to death, and hopefully nobody I know is going to be affected by it. Who cares? This mm-hmm. is, okay, that's just a fringe It doesn't thing. affect my day-to-day life, so. Right. And you know, chances are abortion won't either, by the way. But Well, you know, and, I, I, and, and it's a choice. But either way, I'm just saying, morally speaking, if this is the one thing that you really care about, right or wrong, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. It's just the one mm-hmm. thing that you personally have decided that affects you emotionally, and that's how you're going to vote. Then yeah. how do you – right. it, it's not 
really that difficult to see how people can rationalize and justify and yeah. you know people on the Do you think that's uh, do you think that's how people rationalized voting for for Trump in 16 they just held their nose yeah. and did and voted Absolutely even after all the grab their pussy comments and yeah. do you know all sure. these things that he came out as just being a vile person Absolutely. in general as a human being he's just kind of vile yeah. uh, but they just held their nose and their breath and they punch the punch the chad remember the chad yeah and if if you absolutely if your primary issue is you hate hillary clinton i know it's not rational i'm not claiming it's a rational thing but if that's your primary thing that you don't want another clinton you can't deal with another another clinton a and that woman and she called you a deplorable if you're considering voting for trump Right. Yeah. Then you just engage in this litigation in your head, rationalizing, talking around things. You know, can I believe this kind of you know, we, the stuff we've already talked about? The the mental yeah. gymnastics and the cognitive uh, yeah. fluidity you, you'll have to justify and make you feel like you're doing the right thing. That makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense as to how we ended up where we are. Yeah, and right? there's only two parties. Now, we talked about how that's a good thing, and you have to start forming these coalitions and everything. But that's a downside. No. But there's no solution to that downside. You can't have a, then you're you're talking about exactly what they were talking about in the documentary. Then you have the pro-life party. Then you've got the pro-gun party. Then you've got the anti-immigration party and the green party and right. all these other yeah. And then yeah, you yeah. end up somebody's going to get you know more votes than the other ones, and pretty soon you're going to have I don't know the the anti-hot tea party. <clears throat> Only cold <laughs> tea in America. <laughs> right. Well, it could happen. So. <laughs> So, so, you know, it makes a lot of sense in that when you do vote and it's, it's not, it's not breaking news, but when you do vote, sometimes it's not that you're for the people that you're voting for. You just have to be against the person you're not voting for. Sure. (laughs) Right. Right. I don't necessarily believe what this person is saying, but I really hate what this other guy is putting, putting out. So I'm going to vote for this other person, even though he's, you know, a complete douchebag. Yeah. And there are people on the left. Two people that I can think of right now, just off the top of my head, who will acquiesce to anything coming out of the Democratic Party because they are against guns. They think guns should go completely away. They don't care about the you know the the process of getting there. They just think that guns are bad. Guns should vanish. The Second Amendment should be abolished, and all these guns mm-hmm. should be taken out of people's homes. So therefore, they will go along with the abortion thing. They'll go along with the immigration. They don't even think about it. They just justify the, and, and rearticulate arguments they've already heard because guns—that's the one thing they really care about. Part of that, what I go to though, when you talk about that kind of stuff, it just reminds me that people really aren't familiar with how the country runs when it comes to amendments and things like that. <laughs> think about, think about the state of the country right now. Do you think we could get 37 States to ratify abolishing the second amendment? The honestly, gun argument is ridiculous. Plus you can't because it's part of the bill of rights, which aren't amendable. Right. I think they are. You can, they amend, are? you can pass an amendment that gets rid of an amendment. Can you? You could, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose you could, but you know, we the do bill that. Rights, or, no, the we bill did, of rights are special. <laughs> The guns, the gun thing is never going away. It's it's such a no. stupid conversation to have. It is a stupid conversation because, I, like I said, how are you going to? I mean, fine if you think that that's if you're afraid of that, but it takes two thirds of the states yes. to ratify an amendment. We can't get 37 people in a room to agree no. on anything. How are we going to get 37 states to agree? To, to do we're not, and that's the whole point not. of the framing. That's the whole point. It's not supposed to be easy. No, it's not. It's supposed to be messy and loud and ugly and theatrical. Yeah. What we have now, uh, for the most part, is exactly what the framers designed. Yeah, 
right? People shouting and yelling and this ugly theater and yeah. people, this is what the country is supposed to be. And once we sort of wrap our arms around that and realize, yeah, democracy is ugly, you know, or at least Republican, a Republic democracy is ugly. Um, and people say things that are ugly sometimes, but that's how the country runs. And this is exactly how they designed it to run. Yeah. Sometimes there's, sometimes there's beauty in the gridlock. There's this thing that's been going through, through society, particularly the last five years. And you see it in advertising. There's this car ad out there. You get everything you want. No compromise. Why <laughs> compromise on your, I don't know, your brown rice at night, that kind of, <laughs> it's just everywhere. You hear that all over yeah. the place. And there's yeah. a, the, this ad attitude and this mentality that you shouldn't have to kind you should get everything that you want out of life and out of out of your yeah. government right yeah. and yeah. there's there's this wonderful thing the last i think episode of game of thrones Tyrion lannister goes up in front of everybody and he's talking about you haven't seen it right you oh, of course I have. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, so, okay. We're huge Game of Thrones people here in this house. Great. Fantastic. So you know where he's <laughs> up in front of everybody and he's talking mm-hmm. about what to do and what to do about the king and all that. And Jon Snow, mm-hmm. uh, what's his fuck, the uh, the army leader guy wants to kill Jon Snow, whereas the Starks want him released and maybe sent to Castle, whatever it is. And he comes back and uh, later on he says, nobody was happy, which means it's probably a good compromise. Compromise <laughs> makes no one happy. If you're passionate yeah. and you believe something passionately against someone else who who is passionate and believes passionately mm-hmm. on a, a mm-hmm. different direction, neither one of you are going to be happy. That's the whole point. So this whole right. mentality and this attitude about no compromise, only get what you want, it's going to mm-hmm. rip us down the fucking middle. Yep. It's right, and that's what that's what's happening. We need to learn how to wrap our arms around this these arguments, right? That's how the country's supposed to work, right? Nobody gets exactly what they want, but we get a little of this, and they get a little of something, and that's how things work out. Yeah, you know, I was reminded of that during the documentary we were talking about earlier, and they mentioned that what we're seeing right now was by design this gridlock, this inability to make things move forward. Why? Well. Because it's not right. We need to get it right, and then things will move forward. Now, it has a lot to do with personalities, too. And I can't say that you know part of it is, isn't also about just keeping power. I mean, nobody's better at it than probably Mitch McConnell. He knows how to keep power in his party. The people on the Democratic side, too, they can be just as vicious. Mm-hmm. seen it happen, yeah. right? Yeah. And don't tell me that if they were the party in power, they wouldn't be doing exactly the same thing. Yeah, of course they would. Like this whole argument over, um, I forget the, the new justice's name. I don't think I'll ever remember it because she's got three names and something, um, something Coney. I, because I, Amy Coney's Coney, not, Comey or Coney. I want to call her no, Coney, Coney because, because of James. Yeah. Amy know, because Coney, I, and I love, I, yeah. yeah, and I love Coney's. That's why I remember it because Coney's yeah. are delicious. Yes. Um, but, um, a good spot for those two. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, w- I would say um, that, you know, I didn't like it. Democrats didn't like it. The timing was terrible. Unfortunately, Justice Ginsburg didn't get to choose the moment of her dying. And it put put a situation in place where they were able to uh, put a justice in place. Them's the rules, man. And just because we, you know, the Democratic side couldn't pull it off when Obama was president and uh, was it Gorsuch? Was that the guy? Yeah. Was it, yeah. Was, yeah. And just because they couldn't pull it off, um, that's on them, man. Yeah. And I'll tell you that whole thing, uh, a couple of years ago, 
after the blue wave, how we kept hearing about the blue wave, how the Democrats are taking (laughs) over. Yes, it's a wave. You didn't do anything. You got, you didn't even get my fucking ankle wet. You got my little toe maybe inundated in some cold water because you failed on impeachment. You failed on the Supreme Court. You failed on everything. There's no wave there. And I know it sounds like I'm ranting and like it's a non sequitur, like it's disconnected, but it's not because the whole line of rhetoric is so disingenuous. When it, mm-hmm. when it comes down to this stuff, because it, you, you hear the Democrats who are now condemning the Republicans for, 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 for passing and confirming the Supreme Court nominee, they would have done the same thing. They never say that the, the, the Republicans did exactly everything constitutionally acceptable mm-hmm. two years ago with Gorsuch. If you, ha- <laughs> if you had an actual blue wave, you would have been able to have your nominee go through just the same as uh, the Republicans did this year. That's right. And it's this, right. this disconnected hypocrisy in the name of rhetoric. What comes around goes around, and it and, uh, it, destro- it, it destroys the conversation of the discourse, right? It does. It may it, it and it's and it's disingenuous to the. It's uh, what am I trying to say? It's unfair to the public, right? Because so many people don't really understand how that system works and don't really know that everybody's you know really the 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 Republicans were coloring within the lines the whole time. They didn't yeah. really you know what I mean. They didn't really stretch. It wasn't a stretch. No. And just because the, the the Democrats couldn't get Gorsuch appointed, uh, or um, uh, is is that the right word, appointed or confirmed, 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 then that's on them, man. That's totally on them. And that's you know, do you remember when um, uh, President Obama was elected? Do you remember he had it was a sweep? Remember it was yeah, yeah. Republican Senate, Republican yeah. House, and and the executive, and nothing got done. Well, Obamacare. Uh, well, that was after, right? That was, I think, that was after um, they they managed to get through uh, some Dem- some Republicans into the Senate, right? Because, uh, well, see, there was that period of time when um, my memory is is failing me. Uh, Franken, Al Franken, couldn't get right. He couldn't get sworn in because he wanted. He literally won his election by like three hundred votes in Minnesota. <laughs> Right, and so he wasn't even in the in office. So there was all these problems where, and Obamacare didn't wasn't done in the first year, was it? Was it? It was. It was in the first two, wasn't it? It's was in the first two years. But so they but still that, had they still had all three branches of government, and they got it done. And they did get it done. Yeah, yeah. That's so. That's that was a big one. But, I, I'll but, give that one. But they couldn't. But nothing, nothing else got done. They couldn't keep the public option in there. No. Despite no. having all three branches of government, how? Why? I don't remember why that went. Maybe it was the filibuster. Maybe the, the Republicans were going to filibuster if they. I don't remember exactly why, but that is one of the big problems with Obamacare. Now they're talking about, talking now about adding a public option to Obamacare if Biden wins, right? right why couldn't right. they get that done? Why should I believe you now when you couldn't get that done when you couldn't have it have it added to the original legislation back into whenever it was? Mm-hmm. There's one other thing you, you said. It's unfair to the public not to explain to them that the Republicans were coloring within the lines a couple of years ago, right? It's it's unfair to pander. It's like children. It's like you, yeah. you're, you're so sensitive and so worried about offending them, or, or I guess maybe the concern is keeping them enthusiastic, keeping mm-hmm. the proselytes and the militants uh, engorged to mm-hmm. fight the battle, that you don't tell them the fucking truth, that you don't mm-hmm. explain the nuance of current events situations. 
Two years ago, they didn't do that. They didn't do that enough. We talked about this before. I had no idea. I thought it was some egregious crime that had been committed a couple of years ago, and Gorsuch didn't get confirmed. No, it I was, wasn't. I was with you. No, it was. It was. Uh, that's how. That's how it rolls, man. And it's unfair to the public that somebody doesn't come out and say, "Hey, hey," you know, or or some the losing side doesn't come out and say, "Hey, we lost this one, man. We just we didn't we weren't able to get it done. You know, everybody did what they could, but we lost." Right. Rather than they cheated, they you. Right. No, this is unprecedented. Of course, nothing is unprecedented anymore. It's all been done, you know, and that's what happens is the other side comes out and cries, unfair, unfair. They're not playing by the rules. When so far as I can tell, everybody played by the rules on this one. And the same thing with Gortich, you know, it's just if you're not ready for the NFL, man, get off the field. Yeah, it's like raising a child. I have never done this. I have never raised a kid. I am not telling you how to raise your child. Let me preface by saying that. But it's not good for the child to give the child and pat the child on his head and not discipline the child, not educate the child to Mm -hmm. understand how the world works. Because when it Mm -hmm. gets out into the world, it's going. It's going to have a real hard time adapting to it. Mm-hmm. Correct. Well, we're seeing we're seeing that now, which right. is a whole other. That's a whole other show. Right. If you ever want, if you ever want to have that conversation, I can engage. But, yeah, we can do but, that. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's true, and um, you know, and with our government being the uh, the big the big paternal organization that it is, they don't come back to us. Well, now it's becoming a little more maternal, which is I, I think is a good thing. But but anyway, they don't come back to us kids and say now 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 we lost. Here's how it works. Right. And we lost. We lost fair and square. Yes. Right. We unfortunately we just couldn't pull it off this time. Yeah. I'm sorry. You got a new justice that we didn't care for, but she's there by all the legal means possible. Right. Now go home. Next time, it'll. Next time it'll be us. You know. You just don't know. But instead, it's got to be all this this pomp and circumstance and peacocking and all this bullshit that just has no. It doesn't do anything to serve the public. Right. Right. It right. just it just gets people. It's the heat. It just turns up the heat, and it, gives, and, it, and it gives media something to cover, mm-hmm. and it gives you get your face on camera, and it, you know it gets you a sound bite and all that shit. So ah, I just I just wish that there was a way. I guess the moral of the story of my ranting. I'm very ranty today. I guess the moral of the story, is, you know, for this conversation today, is things aren't as bad. Things are not good right now in a lot of ways, but things aren't as bad as you'd like to think they are because really this is how the government runs. It's always run like this. It's always been like this. It's just right now it's just a little it's just a little more vocal because we have these big amplifiers um, called media called uh, you know Fox and CNN and, and MSNBC and Facebook and we never had those before and that's kind of the X factor that's making things seem worse than they are. But they're not. But in in this case, maybe that's my optimism. But that's fine. I, I'm with you. Things in in reality, right? If you take the media out of it, you take social media out of it, you take all. Of, well, I don't know. I mean, Trump eh, and the destruction of norms, institutions, things like that. It's pretty bad. So I'm not going to say that things aren't that bad. In some areas, they are. Uh, I think the X factor here is social media. I think that perception is just as bad as reality in this case. Because if you think things are bad, if you think the election is being stolen, it doesn't matter whether or not it is. If you think it is, if enough people think it is, it may as well be corrupt. It may as well be a fact where it would be a situation where all of these votes are stolen because enough people believe it. What's the distinction there How in how people react? You can't change their mind with facts. We've already established that. So if they already think that it's stolen, it may as well be. So where right. does that take us? You drive that home. 
Right. Yeah. Perception in that case is is sort of you know, just as important mm-hmm. as reality, which makes all of this rhetoric about stealing elections and about corrupt institutions, uh, the veracity of the vote, all this other stuff that we're about to find out whether or not I'm right or I'm just screaming chicken here. That's what makes this uh, – uh, we're off the map. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Well, you know, notwithstanding, you know, the potential confusion over the – results of the election let's just assume that we're having an election that's that's let's just say it's a landslide tuesday All right. to me that would be you know often i talk about the correction yeah. to me that would be that correction you talked to me you were talking a minute ago about the just you know the destruction of traditionalism and the norms of the presidency and all that kind of stuff if the people come out with a landslide victory for joe biden i think that's a correction that's the people coming in and saying oh wait a minute we we need we 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 don't care for this kind of president Right. We need right. our norms back. We want some sort of normality returned to the White House and to our government, you know. Um, but then that could all fall apart Wednesday morning when all the litigation starts over vote counts and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, January 20th, someone's getting inaugurated. If it's Donald Trump, then that's the people basically saying, well, this is fine. This is what we want. Uh, if it's not, then the people are saying, no, we can do better. That's just my that's just my thought. Yeah. Well, you, you, maybe, you, maybe I'm Pollyanna. But, that's fine. You no, know. you put two scenarios in there. You said that uh, if it's a landslide and Biden's elected, what about Trump? What if it's a what if it's a nail biter Trump victory? Well, that's why I ended with maybe maybe Trump gets elected, and that and then that's that's the converse. That's the the people saying this is the kind of president we want. This that, is that's the not what pers- they're going to say. That's not what you the narrative is going to be in a, in a, a maybe in a a Trump landslide. You know, that's apples and apples, but in a narrow Trump victory, and I think that's the only kind of victory Trump can have. I think we can agree on that based on the poll yeah. and everything else, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If yeah. he wins by a narrow sliver of votes, let's say he replicates, let's say he loses the popular vote again but wins the Electoral College this year, do you think that the people on the left are going to just sit there and say, yeah, well, he won fair and square, no vote tampering, no voter suppression, blah, 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 blah. And, well, and yeah. if that's the case, if they do run down that road, the veracity of the vote highway, then what? Then how are they going to react as we move into his second term? What are we dealing with then? Well, I dread a second term, not because of the man, but because of what will happen to, you know, to obstruct anything that happens. If you thought the first term was obstructionist from both the, from the Democratic Party and anybody else who was anti-Trump, yeah. A second term would just be gridlock at a level that I don't think we can even define. Yeah. And what about executive orders, executive action? You, mm-hmm. you think he's going to be hindered in his second term? Well, yeah, he can't run again. That's he's, the only that would be the only upside to him winning is he couldn't run again. But um, then he's got nothing to lose. Right. right. And he's got a just, new he's got a, a new Supreme Court uh, advantage. A majority in the Supreme Court of conservatives who are going to be more more amenable to his executive actions if the exactly. Democrats decide to challenge it. Well, I was getting ready to say, at least there's still the judiciary to to um, to whack down the um, executive orders that aren't legal. Um, but I, I have to believe it that to, you know they they may be uh, conservative leaning, but the law is the law, and if if it's outside, you know, I mean, and there's there's always room for a little bit of interpretation. But if it's so far outside of the 
norm. And, 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 you know, and anything militarily, even the Joint Chiefs have said, look, we, we're not going to follow an unlawful order. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I mean, we, we, can, we can sit here and get lost in the minutiae, all this, all the possibilities, all the speculation. Yeah. What really bothers me about the whole thing is that we're having this conversation. We're having a conversation about the military openly defying Nero. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the thing that that's the path. That's that's the erosion that's happened just in the last what ten years. The only thing that you could hope for, I think, is that he gets so bad shit, then the cabinet has to enact the Twenty Fifth Amendment. So you just have to let you have to let him burn it down so that somebody can come in and and get him the fuck out of there. You know what I'm Will saying? Will they? Yeah, I don't know because they're all acolytes, yes. right? They're all they're all ass kissers. I mean, do you love those cabinet meetings when they're all sitting around? Mm, oh, thanks to oh, the president's oh, leadership. Oh, your grace, you yeah. know. Oh, you yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that's a level. That's a level of ass kiss that I don't think I've ever witnessed in my oh, life. Yeah, there's one of the one of the guys on the coronavirus task force. It's not Fauci, but it's another one. They, they, he every time he'd go on in front of the microphone, and we were still giving the briefings. Thanks to President Trump's leadership, and I did not just say President Trump. I said it in a character voice that is not the third time i have ever uttered that phrase but it, it, it's just it's egregious i think they know that if they don't they get nothing done i think that they have to endear themselves just so they yeah. can run their run their department where are we you know <laughs> where the what the fuck universe is this well, it's North Korea, right? It's it's uh, it's Saddam. It's it's Iraq, circa 1990s. It's you know, it's all that kind of stuff where you have, you know, this the, the, this person in charge where you have to yeah. have to pay attention to what their personality and what makes them happy and if it pleases him, you know, that kind of stuff. And I'm sure other presidents have been. I understand Nixon was was pretty much of a prick, yeah. um, you know, to work for too in that in that regard. But um, this is a level that I just I just never. I've never encountered in yeah. my life when we, a level of just ass kissery. When we talk about invoking the batshit amendment, I forget which one it is. I'm <laughs> just gonna, whatever batshit amendment. Whenever we talk about invoking that, and we're talking about people in the cabinet who have realized that Nero has gone off the rails. He's into syphilis crazy to the point mm. where he is a an existential threat to the survival of the country, and they decide to mm. remove him. That's the same conversation we were having at the beginning of his term about yeah. the people he surrounded himself with, how they're going to keep him on the rails. I've seen no indication that the Republican Party or anyone within his inner circle can control him or will check him at all. They're just going to follow along because they're afraid of his base. Yep. Anybody who uh, did, anybody who has Purged. stood up to him has been removed. Purged. You know, you know, and each successor to that gets worse and worse and worse. I can't, that's why I can't <laughs> this, follow. The press secretary he's got right now, I don't know, she's such a fucking joke. Yeah. I'm sad for I'm sad for her. Yeah. Right. I have this empathy. I'm just yeah. sad for her. I talked about that in the context of, you remember, uh, what's her name? Uh, the first one, Huckabee Sanders. And where <laughs> I, I just felt terrible for her because that's her job. She's getting paid to go out there and lie. She is literally Joseph Gertman. Well, not literally, obviously, but playing the role mm -hmm. of Joseph Goebbels mm -hmm. where she her paycheck depends upon her mm -hmm. getting in front of the camera and spinning everything favorably for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. That's her oh, job. You, she doesn't think this one. stuff. Remember Sean Spicer was the first one, <laughs> right? And then her. Yeah, how many has he gone through? Four or five? Sean Spicer. Oh, the good old days of Spicy. Oh, I forgot about him. But that's that's her job. <laughs> if he if they don't do that, that is written into their job descriptions. Lie in favor of the president. You can't take it out on her. If she doesn't do it, she loses her paycheck. She has to go get another job and some of the next person in line comes in and does it. She has it. to get another job. I, I do not understand how someone can lack the dignity 
personally, I, I don't understand this. How you can put your face, your pretty little face, on camera mm-hmm. and say these things that make absolutely no sense that are so contradictory to anything resembling reality. How you can do that and associate yourself with it, I do not understand it. I don't understand it either. But I really that don't. is their job. That's why they make whatever it is they make. So you- It really isn't their job. Their job is to tell the truth to the press to get together, to get trust from the press. But this, this whole, their whole, their (laughs) whole thing about, you know, their whole thing is just that this, this is a reinvention of the wheel. No, a real press secretary. Yes. Their job is to do some spin, but not to go completely off the rails and blatantly and obviously just stand there and lie in front of the press corps. That is not normal. It has never been normal. Right. Sometimes, sometimes, they may not 100% honest, but this is a level of fuckery that we've just not seen. They're in the public relations business. Their job yeah. is to spin the White House agenda, the White House policy, however you want to look at it, as favorably as they can to the press, who in turn disseminates it to the American people. They are in um, the propaganda business. Sure. There are different kinds of propaganda. There's Joseph Goebbels and there, there are other people who have engaged in different kinds of propaganda, right? But at its core, its job is to taint reality in favor of a specific direction. Now, mm-hmm. yeah, there are degrees of that, but really, I mean, everything else has gone to the extremes. Everything else is flown off the rails, <laughs> right? Yeah. Why wouldn't the press secretary's job as well? Pretty soon, we might as well just have them dress up in a clown outfit and honk their nose at the end. Yeah. Yeah, or just get rid of them entirely. I mean, just just get a PR firm to come in and, you know what I mean? Or just get, just why? Yeah, just do yeah. Why? Why have them? I mean, they got rid of yeah. the press briefings for a long time, right? They did. Yeah. They did for the longest time. Yeah, so why not just eliminate the position altogether and not communicate anything that Trump doesn't put on his Twitter account? And I doubt were it not for, uh, you know, the pandemic, they probably wouldn't have come back. Yeah, probably not. You know, but... I don't know. I, I think that looking forward to the, the, the election in a couple of days, I mean, the worst case scenario, I think, for me is a narrow Trump win. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. And it's not far ahead of the second worst, canary, worst case scenario would be a narrow Biden win. Mm-hmm. Any because narrow. That's any, why everybody's like, get out and vote early. Get out and vote, vote, vote. Because each yeah. side needs to have a landslide. Yeah. Yes. Because if it's not... We, when we have a whole different set of issues come Wednesday morning. Yeah. It terrifies me. I, you know, part of me is terrified of it. Part of me is just like, okay, yes, now we can start watching the show, right? I can attach it. I can just uh, flip the television on. I was right about that. I was right about that. I was right about that. For me personally, that would make me feel really good. And I could come on this show for the next five years and say, I told you fuckers, you didn't listen yeah. to me. That yeah. would be great yeah. for me. I admit it. I own it. Part of me wants that to happen, but it terrifies me. I have never been so terrified about being potentially being right about anything in my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I do. I do know what you mean. I would. I, I would. Scary. It's scary. Part of me would just love to 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 have everything fall into your optimistic lap, where we get a a Biden landslide, the course correction happens, and we start to. Ah, let's return to normal. I would shut this podcast down and be like, thank mm-hmm. God. I don't need to do this anymore. anymore. I was wrong about a lot of this shit. I should just shut up and go travel or something. This, right? this election is, to. you know, I said, you know, there's nothing unprecedented anymore. And I, I, I take that back. There's a lot about this administration that's un, unprecedented. Yeah. But but this election, I think, I don't, I, at least not in my lifetime, you know, and I'm not even a fraction of the age of the country, but I'm just saying that, um, 
th- th- this level of division and fear over who's going to win, I've never felt it. I'm actually, you remember the good old days when it's like, well, if we lose the election, oh, well, it's just going to be kind of suck for a few years. Right. Now it's like the world is going to come down, you know, the, the sky yes. is going to fall and, yes. and we got to figure out how to get a passport so we can get the fuck out of the country and, you know, all this other stuff, right? So I've never had that feeling until now. Yeah, people literally think that this is akin to Hitler coming to power in Germany. They literally think that Hitler is on the ballot in this there election. There are parallels. There are parallels. Oh. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But just, uh, but just, but not, not historically, right? Yeah. I mean, there are, there are, there are actions that are parallels, but the whole context of history isn't the same. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not insinuating that it is the same. I'm not one of those people. I'm, with you. I understand. I'm just saying that there are some things that have been done where somebody could go off the rails. What you're lacking is that complete history of the 1930s. History, and, you know, history doesn't repeat, but it often rhymes. Yeah, it does. You're right. So that's not, <laughs> that's mine. a good place. It's, that's it's a somebody good place else. There. Moved off to the 1800s a little bit. I'm reading about Lewis and Clark, right? And yeah. these explorers who, uh, you know, went out and explored uh, Louisiana Purchase, got to mm-hmm. Oregon, mouth of the Columbia, all that good stuff. Fort Clatsop, wonderful place. I never got to. I wanted to. Uh, we're talking about Thomas Jefferson and his election in 1800. The partisanship for its day may have rivaled the partisanship that we're experiencing right now. We're t- I was talking about trying to find parallels, like the division and everything else. And that may be, I mean, the, the House, the election in the House of Representatives, it took something like 37 votes. Aaron Burr, who wound up killing, Al- uh, who was it? Killing Alexander Hamilton, right? Mm-hmm. He was the one who was elected vice president that year. It's worth looking at, and we recovered. I mean, it, it, it took time, and but there maybe there is sort of a slow motion correction. Maybe it doesn't happen over the course of a year. Maybe no. it's something that has to be spread out over 15 until we're finally, we just gradually come back to where we should be. That's why, you know, I always go back to my, you know, my, my trope that over time, with the, the entire electorate, we do tend to make the right choice over time. And sometimes we don't get it right, but then we make that correction. Right. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that correction comes in the next term or the next election, but the correction comes and we get through it. Um, because there have been times in presidencies where they were bad. I've been hearing a lot about the, uh, the Rutherford Hayes election. Apparently, that was um, a week before Inauguration Day, and they didn't know who was going to be the president of the United States. Wow. So, I mean, it's yeah. not the first time, you know, something like this might happen. So, I know everybody, because we all live, you know, our, our perception of the world is from our own experience. But just remember, there's still 250 years of, 245 years, I guess, of, of experience behind behind us in this country where a lot of this shit has happened and we've come through it. Right. We've come through a, we've come through a lot worse. We have. we have. We have gone through a lot. And the 1X factor, and it's the primary focus of this show, is informational anarchy to the point that we're living in right now. That is the mm-hmm. 1X factor. We are completely off the map here. Mm-hmm. There is a we point are. where uh, precedent and experience, historical context, historical knowledge, trying to draw from our own history fails because this is an added ingredient that we have no idea. We have no idea how, how much to add this to the equation. No. Eventually we will. Eventually this will be part of the equation, but right now yeah. it's not. We are drawing the map right now. Yeah. That's what's scary. It's, it's like, right. I don't like this yeah. uncertainty. 
You know, I, I don't like it. I, I don't like not being able to lean on, you know, the past precedents and everything. But I guess in, in some context, in some way, it should be exciting that we are literally forging a new path, a new trail. <laughs> you know, see, into, there's that optimism that I yeah. see, you know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You know, some, <laughs> you know, yeah, some of those paths lead math. to the sacrificial altar. So you could be a child back in the Mayan times. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I haven't seen this path. What's a, oh, shit. You're gonna you're gonna cut my heart out, you asshole. <laughs> Kalima, Kalima. <laughs> oh God! You know what? I'm gonna do this because I don't want to add anything to this show. I've been doing that the last few years or for the last few episodes. I don't want to do that. I'm just gonna okay. end it here. Okay. And force myself too because I could rant on for another hour about this, and I probably shouldn't. Thank you ever so much, Brian. How, what's your title again? How would you describe yourself? Uh, t- title of what? I don't know. Like, <laughs> what are your bona fides? Why are you on this show? Oh uh, well, I, I I'm a I'm a psychologist and I'm a PR professional and all of those things. Former are radio program director. That's what it Former was. Former radio yeah. executive. Yeah. Um, Keep forgetting and, to uh, introduce you as who you yeah. are, other than just no. Pride. That's okay. So I bring me a lot of media experience. I'm also a psychologist and uh, I'm also a, a PR professional. So and the two are not mutually exclusive, as we know, psychology and public relations. No, definitely not. Escapethecave.com, that's my website. Uh, fuck Twitter. Yeah, fuck Twitter. Fuck everything social media at this point. Hey, can we just agree on that? Can we have a, a kumbaya moment on that? Fuck social media, please. Yeah. <sighs> so we'll probably hear from you on Tuesday, I'm sure. Indubitably. <laughs> Thanks for clicking in. We'll talk to you next time. So long.